you know, this interesting word here that says men who practice homosexuality. You know, this is from a translation, right? The ESV, I think, was done in the early 2000s. If I remember correctly, it's like 2001, but mm -hmm. I'd have to go yes. back and check. It's an interesting translation because sometimes an argument is made that the word homosexuals was only added to the Bible, I think, in 1948. And that's actually true. There is a, I'm trying to remember, NRSV translation, I believe, added the word homosexuals here and in 1 Corinthians 7 to this list of sins, right? And, and so some people have pointed at that and they said, oh, you know, that's just a bad translation. That word didn't appear in the Bible prior to that. Hey, welcome to Whitefields Community Church Sermon Extra. Great to have you with us again this week. I'm here with Pastor Nick Cady. He's the pastor of Whitefields Community Church here in Longmont, Colorado. And hey, we have started our new series called Equipped to Serve, which is a study in Paul's pastoral epistles. And uh, it's just a, it's a great chance to take the whole church uh, you know, to a big leadership conference or big ministry conference because we're all called to serve as we become Christians, we become part of the body of Christ. We are all serve, called to serve in some capacity, uh, those that God puts in front of us. And, and uh, so this is just going to be a great time as we dive into Paul's uh, pastoral epistles. And we've started in the book of 1 Timothy, and we were looking at the first 11 verses of chapter one, and uh, the sermon is called Truth or Consequences. And so if you missed any of that, uh, you missed the sermon, you were here, couldn't be with uh, with us here on Sunday morning, uh, downloaded whitefieldschurch.com. You can go there, uh, YouTube, Facebook, any of your favorite podcasting platforms, you will find us there. And if you would interact with the content in any way you can, whether that's smashing that like button or subscribing or leaving a rating or reviewing or anything like that, it certainly helps to push this content out there when people are asking, you know, these kind of questions about how do I serve? You know, does God calling me to serve or any kind of these things? And we, we can provide them with Christ-centered and gospel-centered answers to their questions. And so this week we find ourselves in those first 11 verses. And so the kind of the, I guess the main point or the main foundation of what you were talking about was just that, that sound doctrine is an important foundation for every Christian. And, uh, but somebody after church, they came up and asked you and, and they said, well, does that mean if I have good doctrine in my life that my, that means my life is going to be easy? Um, you know, what say you? <laughs> yeah. And so he was, you know, perhaps a little worried that I was, um, you know, am I trying to insinuate some sort of uh, prosperity gospel type thing, right? Which says that if you believe the right things or do the right things, then God will make your life here, you know, your circumstances easier or more enjoyable. Yeah. And the reason he was asking that is because my sentence, right? So that sound doctrine is a foundation for a life of uh, peace and health. And so what do I mean by that? Well, I did talk about this in the sermon, but I think it's worth reiterating is that I'm talking about the difference between the inner life and the outer life, right? So your outer life, meaning your physical circumstances, could be completely chaotic, could be just raging. And yet you're able to have peace and health in your inner man, 
in the midst of that, knowing who God is, knowing what Jesus has done, knowing the hope that awaits you in Jesus, those things all provide you with the ability to have peace in your inner man, to have health in your inner man, even if your physical body is ravaged by cancer, whatever it might be. You're, that hope that you have in Jesus is like an anchor that gives you those things inside, even if the world outside is raging. So definitely not prosperity teaching here. What I'm teaching is is really what I think the text is is very clearly saying and what, what the Bible teaches throughout. Like you see a guy like Job who outwardly everything's falling apart, but because he has this anchor of hope in the resurrection, like we see there in Job 19, there therefore he's able to have hope even in the midst of difficult circumstances. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, and I think you can see that. We just finished the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul's letter. I mean, I think that was one of his fundamental points in that whole letter is throughout his imprisonments, his shipwrecks, his beatings, all those things that he went through and then telling them when you go through that, that what has taken him through is the foundation of the word and the foundation in Christ and and, and the foundation of the gospel, you know, was what, you know, as you said, you know, got him through all those difficult times. And yeah, you definitely not we can't accuse us of having much of a health wealth gospel here and and you know it's and it's obvious that the world we live in that that you know it's not going to be an easy world even for those that do espouse to that health wealth gospel kind of thing that you know i don't think it's working out for them either you know it's importance of sound doctrine and and of course you've said the gospel as we you know at the end in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed god that is the foundation not the the deeper things and i think that was important you know we hear that a lot you know i've, I've heard it before people have told me well i graduated from that kind of thinking like you know uh, the basics you know and and now I've, i'm into these other things and many times it's just you know, speculations, myths, you know, yeah. uh, di- or di- legalism, legalism yeah. and, and these kind of thing. And this, this is the, you know, they, they start to major in the minors as we yeah, would yeah. say. And so we definitely want to be about, you know, majoring in the major things. And the major thing is the gospel. Yeah. You know? and, and what Paul says there, um, is that those things he, he calls them vain discussions and meaningless chatter. And essentially what it means is those things are of real, no real consequence, right? Like, um, you know, if you're going to go a little bit more into what these false teachings were, bad doctrines that were being taught, he talks about Jewish fables. And so what are those? Well, they're probably like extra biblical stories that people are getting, stuff that's not in the Bible. And they're finding like some kind of, you know, basically saying stuff like, hey, here, I found the key to unleashing, you know, God's power and blessing in your life. There's this Jewish story. It's not in the Bible, but here's what it's about. And, you know, so anyway, they were going outside the lines of the scripture, looking for keys to spirituality and the, and the like. Uh, The other one, he talks about endless genealogies. And so what is that? Well, it's again, looking at the genealogy perhaps in the Bible or perhaps in their life personally and trying to find spiritual significance and looking for essentially like some kind of spiritual help from those things rather than just sticking with the the fundamentals. And, and so some people, you know, uh, would say, oh, the fundamentals are the basics. It's the ABCs. I like how Tim Keller has put it. He says the gospel and the basic doctrines of the, of the Bible, they're not basic at all. They're deep. And he goes, they're not just the ABCs. They are the A to Z. And if you mm-hmm. just live them out and, impl- and apply them, you're going to find that these things uh, contain m- enough 
you know, to occupy you for the, for more than a lifetime. And I think that's really true. I think that the deep things are really living these things out, not just understanding them on the surface. They're meant to be understandable even to a child and yet deep enough to be applied and, and occupy you for the rest of your life. Yeah, and I, and I think it's important, you know, if somebody says, well, I've, I've never read this in the Bible before or there's the, the commentators, I disagree with the commentator, your antenna should go up, you yeah. know, as to if something is brand new, then it's then you should be weary of it. Not that it's necessarily not true, but there's oh, very little gonna, that brand. I ahead. thought you were going to make the rhyme. This is yeah. a famous rhyme. Nah, right? Well, you go for it. <laughs> if it's new, it's not true. true. If it's true, it's not new. Yeah. yeah. Well, so my question would be, though, you know, you and I, we discuss a lot of rabbit trails that we go on as far as theology. So, you know, so we spend our time running, running out here uh, and... Um, you know, we talk. So, where did where do you think that kind of plays into the whole? You know, because we we like to chew on the different yeah, yeah. aspects of Old Testament and and you know, because there are a lot of things that are not cut and dry. There's a lot of interpretations. There's a lot of historical, uh, you know, interpretations that differ with each other. That both have strong evidence, and you know, and so whenever you get into a Bible study of any kind, when you open and you start to dive into it, it's not always you know, that, that's cut and dry is the word I can, I, I use, but so where, where do you think those kind of discussions play yeah. in the church as we kind of chew on some of these things? Yeah, I think it's just, um, Paul, again, he uses this phrase, vain discussions and what they lead to arrogance, greed, and unnecessary controversy. And I think that is something that we need to keep in mind when we can have discussions. I mean, what a great thing to spend your time on of all the things you could spend your time on to spend your time thinking about the word of God. Now, not all of these things that we talk about are what we would call primary doctrines, right? Some are secondary, meaning there's room for, you know, maybe the Bible's not expressly clear to say, should it be this way? Should it be that way? Or interpreting it one way or the other. There's some case in which that is a matter of life and death. It's a matter of salvation, doctrine, et cetera. There are other areas where it's, it's kind of secondary. It's kind of a collegial debate, if you will. Like we can just uh, debate it and then decide that, you know, it doesn't really matter. So here's the question though. What does it produce in you to have that debate? What does your conviction about that do in you? That's essentially what Paul's saying here. Does it produce in you greed? Or does it produce gratitude? Does it produce in you arrogance? Or does it produce humility? Does it produce in you unnecessary divisions? Or does it lead to unity in the body of Christ? I think that's where you get off, right? So he's saying like bad doctrines, even if they are secondary, you know what? If they lead to those things, unhealthy. Because good doctrine doesn't do that. But also, I think that as we have those debates, it's important for us in the body of Christ to remember, you know, who we are as the body of Christ, who our brothers and sisters are, what our true mission is. Our true mission isn't just to know obscure information about stuff and debate it all the time. We can do that, but not at the expense of our mission and definitely not at the expense of uh, greed, arrogance, and unnecessary division. Yeah, no, I think that, yeah, that's very important. It's very important. Um, so one last question before we go. Um, you talk very interestingly enough, and it's not immediately apparent when you read these verses, but verses 9 and 10 directly correspond with the 
Ten Commandments. And, you know, we just wanted to discuss that a little bit since in the sermon itself, you weren't able to kind of extrapolate out uh, uh, some of that meaning or, or make those connections as directly as you probably wanted to. So let's just talk about that verses nine and 10 in context of what Paul has begun here. Yeah. So if you go through it, Paul is drawing a line between these people who do these things and the 10 commandments. And the reason is because again, he's addressed these false teachers in Ephesus as being people who presume to be teachers of the law, but they don't really know what they're talking about. And, you know, so in other words, they, they were using the law in a way that he says is not lawful. It's not intended. It's not the design of the law. And then he goes, here's what the law is for. And he goes into this list. Now, an a, quick cursory reading of this could cause a person to say, well, I'm not any of those things. I've never struck my father or mother. I'm not a murderer. I'm not sexually immoral. You know, liar, that's, that's pretty, you know, catches a lot of people because mm -hmm. I'm sure most of us, if not all, have lied at some point in our lives. But here's his point. He's going through, if you start at the beginning and go through the Ten Commandments, he's drawing a line between these actions and the Ten Commandments. And and why is he saying this? It's essentially to say this. You think that you're so good by not, you know, trying, by trying to live according to Ten Commandments and thinking that you haven't really broken them. He goes, here's what you need to understand. You need to understand that even if you've broken it just at one little point, you are in the same boat before God as liars, perjurers, the sexually immoral, enslavers. But it is interesting to like, you know, think through these things that he says and how they pertain to the Ten Commandments. So you've got ungodly and sinners, right? So that talking about the first commandment, which is to not have any other gods before the Lord. Famously, Martin Luther begins his large catechism by saying, by looking at the Ten Commandments, but the first thing he says, he goes, if you look at the Ten Commandments, the first commandment is essentially the great commandment. Every other commandment is essentially an extrapolation, if you will, of the first commandment. Have no other gods before me. So we go into that and say, okay, the ungodly um, for the lawless and disobedient, right? So that pertains to that first one, not having any other gods before the Lord. The unholy and profane, right? This means not doing, not, you know, obeying the things like keeping the Sabbath, which is, of course, the third commandment, taking the Lord's name in vain. That's the profane part. You, you talk about, uh, then we get into fathers and mothers. That's pretty clear. Murderers, that's a, clearly a commandment. The sexually immoral and men who practice homosexuality. Now these both apply to the commandment to not commit adultery. It's interesting because he specifically dials in on men who practice homosexuality, but he, before that, says adulterers. So adulterer would encompass anybody who's, engaging in sexual activity outside of the bonds of marriage. So this would be people of opposite sex or gender and people of same sex or gender. Like he doesn't call out women, for example, here, although he, he does do that in other parts of the Bible, like in Romans chapter one. You know, this interesting word here that says men who practice homosexuality. Now this is from a translation, right? The ESV, I think, was done in the early 2000s. If I remember correctly, it's like 2001, but mm -hmm. I'd have to go yes. back and check. It's an interesting translation because sometimes an argument is made that the word homosexuals was only added to the Bible, I think, in 1948. And that's actually true. There is a, I'm trying to remember, NRSV translation, I believe, added the word 
homosexuals here and in 1 Corinthians 7 to this list of sins. And, and so some people have pointed at that and they said, oh, you know, that's just a bad translation. That word didn't appear in the Bible prior to that. And that's actually true. The word homosexual didn't appear in the Bible prior to that. And I would actually agree, it's a bad translation. Whereas this translation is actually much more accurate. But you know what's even inter more interesting? If you go into the Greek language and you look at this word, the word is the word arsenkoitis, which literally means taking a man to bed and coitus referring to sexual relations, right? So it's men who have sexual relations with other men. So it couldn't possibly be more clear. And this, this word, arson coitus, is used here and in 1 Corinthians to talk about this. Interestingly, 1 Corinthians then also talks about, again, bad translation because these words are difficult to translate without like writing an entire sentence. But then there's, uh, he talks about again, a poorly translated word where it says effeminate men. So like, what does it mean to be effeminate? Does that mean that you like things that women generally like and you don't like things that men generally like? I, I think that that's not the point. It's actually very clear, again, in the original text that it's, it's uh, speaking of the passive role in the homosexual act as opposed to here, where this is the active role. So it's kind of saying both sides. And what's interesting, one last thing is that on this debate about homosexuality and especially these two words, um, some people have come back and said, well, that's only referring to practices at that time, which would essentially be kind of like rape or forced relationships. Or is it pederasty is the word? Well, pederasty, I think that's even a, a still a different, different situation. Different situation. But yeah. they would say, you know, it's like people who were forced into this, right? In other words, it was mm. not consensual. Yeah. They say in a loving, consensual, monogamous relationship, this doesn't apply. I would say actually that's that's not the case because if you look at Roman culture at that time, Greco-Roman culture, they were not more prudish than we are. They're actually just the opposite. They are actually more licentious than we are. So you know, having consensual relations in basically any kind of form, even beyond what we would in our culture today be accepting of, even doing things which in our culture would actually be illegal. Th those things were accepted and just, yeah, part of normal life. So to think that they were more prudish than us, just the opposite. We're actually more prudish than they are. And so just to say, like, this word has been understood in this way for a long time. This is what it means. I know it's a bit of a, bit of a, you know, debate. I would say that in this matter, it's really important that we let our doctrine be driven by the text, not that we come to the text with a preconceived notion and then try to kind of wrestle it into the text. You know, for more on this, if people are interested, and especially even this linguistic stuff and the cultural things, very good book out there on this topic by Preston Sprinkle. It's called People to be Loved, Why Homosexuality is More Than Just an Issue to be Resolved. I think it's a great book and a good resource for anyone who wants to dig more into that topic. But then just going on, you know, and he says liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. So again, mm. covering at least nine out of 10 of the 10 commandments directly. Yeah, no, that's a very, very insightful on that. Yeah, it's not, it's not, you know, that evident when you, when you go through it, but you can see how, how Paul is kind of, yeah, basically giving a Bible study on the 10 commandments and kind of 
almost in contextualizing it for his his audience as he's writing this this down. Well, this has been a great start to this particular chapter. We're looking forward to getting through First Timothy, and I encourage you to, if you're with us on this journey, just uh, go ahead and read the whole letter through. Read it couple more times, you know, just next couple weeks, you know, so that as we, as you're listening to the sermons and you're listening to these sermon extras, you might have questions for us, uh, you know, it'll, it'll, you'll be able to get more out of the text, you know, by, by being familiar with it. And so that's something I've encouraged our teams to do. And it's something I encourage you to do as well. And so whitefieldschurch.com if you missed it, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you next week. God bless.